Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design uh, in Melbourne at RMIT University. And I'm with uh, George Yontas and Rosa Coy, um, uh, life and business partners of Coy Yontas Architects. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you've had a long history in architecture. Uh, George, you studied at RMIT. That's so right. there's a nice yeah. connection there. And um, Rosa, you originally studied at Deakin University and then in um, a little place in St. Louis Obispo. San Luis Obispo in, uh, um, in California on the coast between San Fran and LA. And I believe you two met uh, in France, in Paris. Correct. That's right, yeah. We were there for six years or so. Which is a long time. Mm. It is a long time, yeah, but and, it went quickly. And you were working for some pretty interesting architects. Yeah. I mean, you were working for Renzo Piano, yes. which is who's one of the major yes. architectural figures, did the uh, Pompidou Centre. Yeah, it was, a, it was an amazing firm to work for, and um, and we were working on the Potsdamer Platz in Berlin while I was there, amongst other things. It was very exciting. And, George, you were working for? Bruno Sonia. Bruno Sonia. Which was a, a young up-and-coming practice at the time. They were sort of in their early to sort of mid-40s, uh, doing some very interesting work uh, and uh, got involved with them doing competition work, oh. which paid off. We won three or four competitions in conjunction and that kept me there for a long time. So given you were kind of a little bit in, or quite ensconced in Paris and the architectural life in Paris... Why come back to Melbourne? Uh -huh, that question. Yeah, three ask us. Yeah. Do you kind of regret it? I mean, you know, is there something like you think, oh, we could have done this? I mean, what was it about Melbourne that kind of brought you here? Working in Paris, it, it's, it, it grinds you down. It's a big city. Uh, you know, the, the pressures of, the, of a city like that and the pressures of work. Um, you know, work becomes almost like a 20-hour-a-day type exercise and, and you just roll with that lifestyle. And so it becomes quite grinding you find uh, yourself becoming quite irritable ir irritable sorry mm -hmm. and uh, I suppose it was just a moment of sort of standing back and thinking is it a place is... that you couldn't really bring kids up well, that was and that's the other thing I think thing. yeah the other thing was I think we were very serious about starting our own practice and so we looked at starting a practice in France we quite seriously looked at that and came to realize that you really needed those connections and we had better connections back in Melbourne. And so we thought we'd come back to Melbourne, give it a try. We'd always go back if we felt it wasn't working. And um, When you said, Rosa, you know, uh, connections, you know, in terms of getting work, it's not well, that equal? Or? There's a competition system over there which is much more um, favourable to young architects. Much um, The bigger projects are often put out to um, tend to buy a competition. Uh, but... Um, uh, but back here, um, I think we felt we had um, there, there were political connections required over there. We felt and just you know, old school connections that that we just didn't have. We didn't having not grown up there. So it would have meant associating with a, you know having a French partner probably, uh -huh. and which was possible. There were a lot of our colleagues who then. So when did you end up coming back to Melbourne? Ninety six. Ninety six. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, Ninety six. So you're. 96, I'm just thinking, you're, you've passed your 20 years. We're just celebrating. We're just, yeah. We've just hit that mark. Yeah. 20 years, well, yeah. congratulations. It must be Thank you. milestone. Yeah, it is a milestone. Yeah. Yeah. It is, we're just starting. <laughs> <laughs> um, George and Rose, I still remember covering your 
one of your first houses in Balaclava. It's a very small little house. It was a small site, very difficult. Right. I think mm. you got an award for that. Yes, we did. We picked up a, a for a new house, I think. Residential, residential. Over 200 yeah, square metres. Yeah, that's right. That's right for the, for and the very, institute. very unusual site. It was a triangle. Yeah. Triangle. Yeah. And, and really, you were trying to create this family home on a very small site. That's right. We had three kids at that stage. Now got four. Now four. Mm, we had two uh, when we were building it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was a yeah absolutely tiny site, and you know it was it was it was great because we could sort of experiment with a few themes that have sort of translated into our later work. But um, being your own client, you know, you get to experiment and you know try things that you probably wouldn't. Well, recycled cladding. We had also we were experimenting oh, right, with yeah. um, plastic Dif- cladding and on the facade. Different building systems, all mm. these sort of things, we had a lot which of fun were with it. perhaps a little risky. <coughs> but you know, as a client, you know, we were, no one was going to tell us that we stuffed it up. <laughs> it was look, it's going back quite a while, mm. but there were some very unusual ideas in that house, I, from memory. Yeah, there, there were there there were the there was. Um, I'm trying to think of what you were. Oh, there were all the hidden rooms. There were, we were trying. That's right, we behind the playing. study. Yeah, there were sort of things that were <coughs> hidden, uh, you know, sort of access ways that, you know, the bathroom you couldn't find. You know, you had to tell people it was the fourth panel That's along. That's right. We were playing with the element of surprise, um, which is a theme that continues. We like to um, use in our, in, in our current work also. Um, there was just um, some very careful... Um, um, planning, I guess, to make this work, make this house work on a um, triangular site, and storage was a big, a key mm. issue. Um, with a, a family on a very small site, we were uh, we managed to include a lot of storage in that house, which was kind of again invisible, and um, and the bedrooms were quite small too. That was another thing we, mm-hmm. we focused on bringing the, um, the the you know the larger spaces were the living spaces with the idea that we wanted the family to commune down in the... It's interesting how, um, uh, I mean, apartments in Melbourne and probably Australia-wide and worldwide are, are tiny now. I mean, they vary, you know, they almost just fit a bed mm. and you look at them. But um, on the other extreme, bedrooms in detached houses have probably got larger, you know, en suites, you know. I mean, it's becoming... And this is kind of a reminder that... You know, you, you just sleep in, in these rooms. You don't really need huge footprints prints in bedrooms that are really just there to sleep in. Well, that's right. I mean, we, we were actually having that discussion with a potential client this morning. It's, I mean, our attitude is exactly that. You know, a bedroom is where you go to sleep and it doesn't need to be much more than, you know, the bed, a bit of space around it, your robe, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. This, um, this sort of trend towards, you know, an ensuite with every bedroom a bit I, dumb. I just, I just find it a bit sort of extravagant. Yeah, I just sort of. And the other thing, look, I'm not sure, but you know, I quite like a bit of a separation between an ensuite and a bed, a bed and bathroom and, yeah. a, and a and a bedroom. I mean, you know, you don't want to hear noises during the night. No, well, that's exactly right. So I think you know we're very careful with our planning, and I think our feeling is that it's possibly a better use for some of this, you know, for the square meterage. If we can bring it into a living space, or uh, you know, if the if the bedrooms are smaller, if the um, if that's required, yeah, because ultimately people come to us with the budget and they say, okay, you know, this is how much I want to spend. We go, okay, well, this is how much space I can give you. So it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense to throw that into bedrooms, yeah. you know. And why yeah. why put that? Well, if you look at a lot of the post-war architecture, that's the model they followed: mm. smaller bedrooms and larger, expansive living areas, mm. which makes sense. Your own home, which 
which won also won an award a couple of years ago, uh, just nearby, also mm-hmm. in, yes. in the same area, also came up with some really good ideas. Uh, I remember I did a tour through there, mm. and I thought, you know, there were just really thoughtful things, like you've got four kids, rather than putting all this storage into their bedrooms, you created this almost like a school system at, oh, the, yeah. at the front entrance mm-hmm. where each child has a locker mm-hmm. or a storage container that they put their bags and coats. Yeah, a good idea, right. yeah. you know, a really strong idea. Mm. A charging station for the mobile phone. The idea was that, um, you know, given that their bedrooms were upstairs, they could come in the door, dump their stuff, and um, plus it's also a place that I put their homework when I find it left all around the house mm. or, you know, so it's a place where... Um, they, they get to see it in the end. That's right. Yeah. They can find it in the end. So even <laughs> if they... They've <laughs> just left it under the sofa. <laughs> it, it will eventually wind up back in their locker. Uh, oh, and that must give them enormous pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Not much appreciation. But no. <laughs> um, it was also an interesting house because you, from memory, it was a period home that you extended. Right, yeah. um, a heritage area? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Heritage streetscape. So it was, yeah, it was a... It's a you know, sort of her- the house itself wasn't protected but in in fact we kind of decided it was actually it was a cute house I mean, you couldn't have had, pulled it down though no we well, had to retain we had, we had to, a heritage um overlay yeah we consult. we we did i mean you could have pushed for it but you know we actually liked the 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 house had good mm. good uh you know sort of there was something nice about it um so we restored it so we restored well we restored, restored the facade the facade and rebuilt mm. the interior i mean it was a complete dump in the sense that it was you know the termites had been through it and it was mm. you know almost a total rebuild but um we did we sort of kept the original uh, the cottage at the front and we were required to keep the two chimneys that's right and yeah. um and the and the front roof line so um we i consulted the heritage advisor from the council um to determine exactly where we could cut the house off so he yeah. gave us some very strict strong guidelines so that you and wouldn't f- see the new extension well i think we were given a limit um, um as to how much house we needed to retain of the front and so from that point on we were given free um mm. Free scope to do what we like. When you're working not just on your own home, um, but other clients' homes, and you come across a house that is riddled with termites, all sorts of problems, and you've worked considerably in areas like Middle Park and Mm. Albert Park that are heritage listed, it must really frustrate architects to think there's so much work goes into restoring this house. Mm. You know, you could almost build a a new house for this. It, It must, you know... Uh, eat away at you a little bit thinking you know this is so much work so much money to get it to something that really they might even use that much yeah it's certainly not cost effective i mean you know uh, people often make the mistake coming to us that you know they have this house and they go okay we'll knock off everything bar the front two rooms that's going to save us money isn't it and it's kind of no that those front two rooms are going to cost you more than the whole extension yeah so and it is sometimes because there's no at the level of the of bureaucracy there's little common sense when assessing these things you know um there's a heritage advisor and usually if you have a you know discussion with them you get to a point but between you and the heritage advisor there's usually a junior planner who doesn't have much you know opinion and just look you know or much experience that's an issue i've heard from a number of architects working mm. with councils <coughs> that they're saying that you know the planners really aren't up to speed on a lot of the design 
uh, issues that oh, now no, they really they, need to address. They just they don't seem to you know, the, grapple the, those the, issues. The thinking's you know it, it's almost it's it's you know it's almost where having a design discussion with a planner, a young planner now, um, it, it's almost at where we were thinking when we were coming into architecture school almost 30 years ago. It's easier. Well, it's in terms of, you know, it's that kind of whole postmodernist. Um, you make it look like the thing next to it. You you know, if it's got a window like this, you put one the same, you this, you know. Isn't it's amazing stuff. that we've... And it's 2017 go, when I last checked... Mm. And we no, you're right. 2017, <laughs> and we still, you know, that idea of creating something separate from the original, which you did with your own house, you yeah. create this very distinctive pavilion. Mm. Uh, you still have to challenge and educate. I find that a bit sad. Yeah, well, it's it's very sad. I mean, we've got you know stuff that's uh, in in the planning. In, pro- in planning at the moment where uh, with. And it's, this is really frustrating where, you know, we've had the discussions with the urban designers, we've had the discussions with the heritage people, we've done this quite modernist box which is, you know, sympathetic to the and streetscape and all that sort of stuff and it's modern and all that sort of stuff. And then the junior planner has stepped in and gone, we want a pitched roof on it. And you go... Oh, no. It's quite extraordinary. And, and it's sort of like, <laughs> I can't put a pitched roof on this design. It's sort of like, you know, taking an dull. iPhone and, you know, putting ears on it or something. It's yeah. it, it kind of, it's just a... You know, like, there was a total approach taken to the design, mm. you know, the proportions, all this sort of thing. And now it's like, I oh, just dump a roof on it and it'll be fine. And so that's yeah. really... Frustrating. No, frustrating. No, I've heard that from a number of architects, many award-winning and leading architects in Melbourne, and they say, look, you know, they kind of want to blow off steam at mm. council level, but what can you do? Because they're basically... They they're in hop, a position well, the position of gatekeeper. They're, they're the gatekeepers, yeah. and if you create too much trouble for them, uh, they'll put you at the end of the pile. Mm. Exactly right. And, you'll, yeah. and it'll make it even worse. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing. Someone said the pro- one of the problems is that, um, and I think this is fair comment, that uh, and I trained as a town planner at mm. RMIT. Um, that uh, you know a lot of the more experienced planners have now left local government, going into private practice where the pay is a lot better, oh, totally. and then the juniors stay and they kind of won't move on and they just really know people. Yeah. They have a major influence on the on the look of our city. I mean, this is the problem: is that mm. it's not designers driving the look, which is the way you would expect it might. It should be. It's it's a it's an untrained uh, in design planner who is dictating the way our, our buildings look, and we think that's a real problem. Yeah, is do you think it's something uh, problematic to Melbourne, or you think it's a worldwide thing, or you think we're lagging, or? Oh, look, it it. I think it's probably um, something that's common in the Anglo-Saxon world. Um, you know, the America, the UK is. You know, from what I can see, you know, on the net is getting mm. better. But um, it wasn't an attitude that we experienced in France. I mean, in France, there there is, a, and they have a lot more heritage fabric to work with. Hell of a with. lot more. And you know, we, you know, part of my job there was working with the monuments historiques. You know, because we had, you know, five hundred year old buildings next to our buildings, and so there was all the, always this discussion about, you know, how do you integrate with a five hundred year old building? And no, 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 no. 
but the, but it was always a, a very contemporary approach, a very modern approach to the new building. Yeah, I, it's interesting because the, the discussion of being the separation between old and new has been going on ever since oh, I've been yeah. writing mm. the last twenty five years, and I just don't see it. You know, just the fact that you have to keep stating the obvious, mm. clear separation between old and new. You know, something the borough charter strictly well, lay out, and yet you have to defend it every day, and it just seems like that should be part of the language. Well, I mean, it's also, I mean, the borough charter is an interesting thing. It's like, you know, I know about it. I know what it says, but I turn to a planner and go, hey, listen, hey, this yeah. this document was, you know, done in 1965, 66, yeah. whenever yeah. It, was, it was, but, you know, they don't get it. So yeah. it, it's, well, no, that's not true. To be honest, there has been, in the last 10 years, let's say, there has been a shift towards an understanding and a, an appreciation of that division yeah. between... A her- the heritage fabric and the you know and the the new, yeah. um, but it, the needle flips back every so often, and you have come to across someone, people. yeah, and, and it, you know, or you come across someone young who hasn't quite had that drummed into them yet. And um, as a you know, practice, I mean, you work together, you live together. Uh, do you talk architecture at night, or do you try and uh, ban that from the household? Do you do you say, look, it's kids' time now, or do you, when you get an idea, you just George, I think George our Rose. children would say we probably talk yeah. architecture a far bit. too much. <laughs> but yeah. um, they're often, um, uh, over, you know, yes, we do. We, we yeah. talk about it. There are always architecture magazines and things on the mm. dining table. And, and, and how do you work generally? Do you kind of work on your own projects or do you work together very strongly from the start on an idea that you really want to develop? Because, you know, you obviously have different strengths. So how does it work? It's sort of, it's, it's almost like a table tennis match. I mean, you know, you one, one of us, I'll put something down, Rosa will come over and go, oh, yeah, that's like that, or Rosa will do something and I'll come over and do that. And then the clients will input and we'll change things and then we'll go through that process again and again. Uh, yeah. But ultimately it'll become one person's project. Yeah. I mean, uh, and that's yeah. just for you know the practicalities of running a, a, a practice. You know, you, you have the design, you know, the director responsible for that project, um, but the other person's always sort of looking over, and going, mm. oh, what's, oh, why are you doing it that way, sort mm. of thing. You know, why don't we, you know, turn it around and do it some other way? And what are the? I mean, you you've kind of built quite a you know reputation for housing. Yeah. You know, individual housing. You've done a number of um, uh, for clients. Uh, is that the main state, you know, main stable of work at the moment? Pretty, pretty much. It's probably about seventy percent. I'd say. Yeah. I mean, that was ne- it was never really an intention of ours to become specialised in that. It's something, um, and we obvi- we work in um, all areas really. We do commercial, commercial, yeah. retail, healthcare, mm. all sorts of so, bits and pieces. Um, but I would say probably seventy uh, percent of our work would be residential and, and multi-residential, individual housing. And where do you think? Because you you'd be on this every day. Where do you think? Where do you think things are going? Where do you think the clients are kind of? You know, mm. five years ago they were asking for this. I mean, obviously things like media rooms. If people say I want a media room, oh, yeah. you pro- you know in the basement you probably go well why? But wh- where are things evolving in housing that you think of, of becoming? more pronounced as we move forward? Uh, look, this might be a little yeah. bit off yeah. topic from what you're, I think you're driving at, but it's funny, I've had quite a few clients or, or even just colleagues or friends come to us and say that they're wanting to be more engaged 
with their community um, through mm. their through their home and and that they're um, finding that their uh, homes are a little bit isolating and um, so I wonder whether um, there's the opportunity to sort of open I don't know the um, the front garden maybe the front no probably more than that I think um, um, I mean, we're it's we're we're also involved with the um, the Nightingale housing movement as oh, as, as licensed um, Nightingale architects, and that's definitely focusing on a sort of a more communal style, multi residential living. But um, even privately, I've had clients say to us that they'd like to be the house to be a little bit more open and um, uh, to be a, or to or more so that they would. Um, prefer to live in single dwellings within a community and maybe that there's the opportunity to look at almost like cluster housing from Correct. the 70s mm. Mm. so there's yeah mm. so that's potentially a way things might be going i'm not sure as for individual homes what would you say uh look i mean as as a general tr i know we're sort of moving and i think the trends well not the trend i think it's being now called broken plan as opposed to open plan mm. where um, you know that whole separation thing of, of kitchens. Well, a sort of separation, but you know, not not so much. And the living room is maybe not you know just a big rectangle with a dining table at one end and a sofa at the other end and a TV. That it's that the space is a little bit more uh, shaped or flexible or mm. you know or broken. things or broken, so that you know you can still be in the same space, but it's a little bit separated. So there's or, nooks for. A number of people things, rather than just yeah. you have to sit in this one open plan exactly. space and think I yeah. want my own space. And the other thing we're sort of moving away and it was something we always had in our early projects because um, coming from Europe you know they, uh, there are no open plan kitchens you know the kitchen is still even in a modern apartment in a little room I know, I find that site, interesting. which is really cause it's just mm. the way they do kitchens so there's a little table it's like the old-fashioned mm. you know sort of kitchen from the 50s or 60s little table kitchen and then the dining room and you know it's still the open plan living dining room but that dining room's more the formal kind of more formal as part of that space um so you know coming back here it was all open plan with the island bench and all that sort of business and that was great but we soon realized that that's a bit of a disaster on a day-to-day -day basis because the island bench just turns into a you know shit heap really yeah. once everything yeah. you know once you've cooked yeah. So um, we sort of started doing these things that we called sculleries, um, which are now called butler's pantries. Yeah. So uh, you know that that was a that was a mainstay of all our kitchens and has been for a the long other, time. The but other thing yeah. that's interesting, and you probably experience it uh, working in Paris for so long, is that the French have quite a different attitude when it comes to privacy. Uh, mm. You know, they do they don't like to have everything on show. I remember no. showing them a very um, well published house, Sean Godzell's house mm. uh, in Kew, which was designed as his own home in 99. Amazing house. Mm. And uh, even though they could appreciate the architecture, they thought they couldn't live like that. They thought they can't be on show. Mm. And mm. that's something that, is that something you notice the difference between Paris and Melbourne? It's much more private, you know, you just well, couldn't have your bedroom on show. It's interesting. The overlooking issues are certainly not as. Um, I mean, everyone's quite close, tight. living we're tight, tightly close to one another, and I mean, it was very easy to look across a courtyard and you could see someone in their kitchen or someone in there. Um, so there were no restrictions really in that regard, and the Parisians seem to be. Um, I mean, that's just part of living in an yeah. urban, a very 
you know, highly open space. So in that sense, I don't think they were as private or as forced to be as private as we are here. We've got very stringent overlooking rules uh, um, uh, that are controlled by planning. Um, so no, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe the private areas like bedrooms, they're yeah. much more concerned with privacy because, you know, they just... I remember the reaction was yeah. like, well, we just couldn't have... Couldn't live there. Yeah. We couldn't live like yeah. this. This is just something too foreign for us. Yeah. And the other thing, I don't know, just from... Because I did take a group of leading French architects around Melbourne a number of years ago. One thing I don't think they got was Melbourne's humour for mm. architecture. Oh. That, you know, I was showing them some great examples of architecture in Melbourne, including um, ARM's Story Hall at mm. RMIT, which brings a smile still i think it's a wonderful building they didn't get it <laughs> i could yeah. tell they couldn't get very it very serious about very serious did you find yeah. that oh look that there, there's a generalizing and there's yeah. obviously lots of architects look, uh, out there who do french architects uh, uh, who do very whimsical work yeah um yeah it wouldn't be in the french within the french sensibility i don't think they 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 like their architecture kind of straight straight yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, not bright green. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's it, not so much freeform, or not in that sort of yeah. sense of yeah. freeform. It, you know, it's sort of freeform but controlled when they do it. What are some of the projects you're working on presently? It's giving you, it's mm. giving you both enormous pleasure. Are we allowed to say uh, pleasure, pleasure. Yeah. I mean, well, there's we've always got, yeah. we've got a couple coming up that we're really looking forward to. Um, one, one. Um, uh, a multi-residential in queue I'm just thinking oh, this, yeah, proposing the, yeah. to be built out of rammed earth and this one has we negotiated it through planning and unfortunately at the 11th hour it's been taken to VCAT by a neighbour so we're, we're all on hold again but um, um, what was the problem there what, oh, they don't like no. rammed earth oh no it was no no nothing to do with, with that it's um it's a three-story um, it's a group of three townhouses I think it's just um, not in my backyard. They don't want to. They don't want multi-res. Mm. Um, well, it's it's three, it's one individual family actually, and the children are each taking one townhouse. So it's a familial. I think I'm reading on this. Yeah. This sounds familiar. Oh, it hasn't been built yet. So no, no, I think I wrote on the concept. Okay. Yeah. So that one's coming oh. up. What else have we got? Yeah, on, that'll um, get through. And there's a another one at v, also at VCAT, <laughs> which is a sort of a nice. What was the one I was talking about yeah. before about the the house in Middle Park that wasn't heritage, but Held us up for a while. Because uh, they that wanted one, a pitch roof. No, no, oh, that one. That one was. Uh, that's it was. Um, no, on the, uh, this is a city of Port Phillip issue, but they, they've got this heritage map which shows you know which are contributory, which are thing, you know, and you know the map has mistakes in it, and just to get the a mis an obvious mistake acknowledged took a little while, mm. um, much longer than it should have, it but they acknowledged it. It must be so terribly. Um, I can just imagine you both looking at your calendars on the wall, thinking objection dates, mm. yeah. um, going past, we're on the last day, we think we're in. That's right. And as you said, then bang. you get this yeah. bang. You get this <laughs> it's objection. It's very upsetting. It's very upsetting. And it's... Um, uh, and also, I mean, another thing that when um, I mean, recently we got one um, that we were very excited about, it was a multi-residential project in St Kilda that was taken to VCAT and a lot of love and effort and um, had gone into the design as 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 it does and um, 
and the, um, uh, it's not proceeding. It looks like it's going to just stop. So there's a project that hasn't gone ahead. So those ones are always, you know. Um, when you come across projects like that, do you store them and think, well, look, I know it's very much for that site, but those ideas can come out well, again. Look, oh, they'll, you they'll emerge later. They will yeah. emerge. It, you when, know, if, if a similar, you know, if a situation, I mean, a lot of... For example, this this um, building had a very large western facade, and there's a way of you know treating the sun on the western mm. facade that we came up with, which was a sort of deep reveals, which turned into deep brick reveals, and that might turn up again somewhere yeah. if we have a similar situation. Mm. Um, but yeah, they. I mean, it's uh, all all these things are just you know a part of a sort of design continuum. It's sort of like yeah. you know you. You trial it if it works. And I suppose just given your experience after 20 years, you have to kind of almost expect there's going to be objections, you know. You do, but you live in hope. (laughs) You live in hope that one day, you know, like the common sense will kick in and people will go... That's great, you know. Yeah. We're accommodating more people in Melbourne, yeah. and it's and fantastic design, and, and we're celebrating contemporary yeah. architecture and design. Well, look, um, hopefully, I'll get to live that long. <laughs> <laughs> I'll count down the years, but um, I think in some ways we've gone backwards. I think we've become a lot more conservative mm. um, in some ways, mm. and even though there's great sparks of creativity um, I think sometimes it is being held back by mm. gatekeepers which is a shame because you know some of the great buildings don't get to be built I agree. and appreciated mm. and you end up with you know banal very generic yeah, okay. buildings that could be anywhere and anywhere in the world but um, look thanks so much for coming in today Pleasure. Um, Thank it's you, been Steve. fun and um, I've been following your work for a number of years now and I didn't realize it was 20 years yes. so that's, that's really how long you've uh, been following it so. yeah that's a milestone <laughs> so a um, milestone, yeah. and I'm still 39 so trying to work that one out so thanks for listening you've been uh, with uh, George Yontas and Rosa Coy of Coy Yontas uh, architecture in melbourne thanks so much for listening you've been with uh, stephen crafty talking design thanks again